good morning. <laughs> How are we doing? You know, I should really preview those uh, to know how long they are before Sunday morning. Hey, welcome. Take your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Today I'm going to begin a series of sermons from the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to carry through this series all the way into May. So it's a long series, and I thought, you know, if I go December to May, I can cover Luke, but uh, the truth is, I can't. Uh, Luke is so rich and so long that really what I'm going to look at over the next five, six months are the unique passages, the things that are unique to Luke that aren't in the other Gospels. But you can read ahead with us and... Uh, Obviously, during Advent, we're going to be looking at Luke chapters 1 and 2. And it, this Advent account, the birth of Christ, is very unique to Luke. Matthew, as you know, also has a, a birth account, but it's from a different perspective altogether. It's more from the perspective of Joseph. And Luke has... Um, Luke is written more to a Gentile audience. It seems as if his purpose is to speak to the Gentiles, to the world, modern, most of the world, that's not Jewish. Anybody not Jewish is a Gentile. So to the Gentile world about who Jesus is. And you can see it from the very beginning of Luke when he speaks about his purpose in writing. He says this, as soon as I can get there. Beginning of Luke 1. says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So he's saying, I'm going to give you an eyewitness account, not of mine, but of those who were there, who were present. And he goes on and says this, Therefore, since I myself have been carefully investigating everything from the beginning, it seemed good also for me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So there's some guy named Theophilus that we really, as far as, I mean, there's a lot of speculation, but we really don't know who he is. We don't know if he was a patron. We don't know if he was just a friend. We don't know who he was. But it's apparent that Luke is writing to this Gentile guy to give him an orderly account of what's happened. And so we have the Gospel of Luke, the life of Christ, and the book of Acts, which also talks about being written to Theophilus. So we have these two-volume set of Luke and Acts that are written by Luke. And a great trivia question is, who wrote the most words of the New Testament? Luke. Luke. Most people think Paul because he's got more books, or maybe even John because he's got a gospel and revelation. But actually, as far as word count is concerned, Luke 
is the number one um, word count writer of the, the New Testament. He is, uh, he, he's really giving an account of all that's happened. And today we're going to kind of jump into uh, the end of chapter one, sort of the end. Chapter one is really long. And I want to look at the account of Mary today and the expectation that comes because of what occurs in Mary's life. Now, some of you are saying, well, why are we going to skip Zechariah and Elizabeth? We're not. We'll cover them next week. We'll do Zechariah and Elizabeth next week with the birth of John that comes after the foretelling from the angel that um, the Maliks read to us this morning from Luke 1. There's a famous um, hymn written in 1865 by William Chester Ch Chatterton Dix, and he penned the words to a poem called The Manger Throne, which became a very popular poem in England and eventually was set to the tune of Greensleeves. It was renamed um, because of its first line, What Child Is This? And we sing it every Christmas at some point. And there's a verse in the uh, poem that says this, and you're, you're familiar with it. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise a song on high. The virgin sings a lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. There's this recognition in this great hymn that the babe that is born to Mary is not like just any babe, that he brings salvation, that our hearts are to enthrone him, that we're to give him the gift of really us. Many times we hold back on giving because we feel like, what happens if I give myself away? Who am I if I give myself away? What will happen to me? Where will my life end up? Will, will joy overcome my life? Am I going to live a miserable life? Is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? Is this... And really, the, to me, the, the story of Mary is this. Give your all. Give everything that you are. Let God work through your lives. And you'll be praising him like you've never praised in the past. Your song of joy will just come out of you. Some 31 plus years ago, Kathy and I, Kathy, found out she was expecting, and we were thrilled. I didn't get married until I was 29, and we were expecting our first child at the age of 31, which is not uncommon. In our day, it was a little later than normal, um, but today it seems to be a lot more common um, than, than, than it used to be. Um, so we were just thrilled. Now, we, we worked hard. We caught up, by the way. I have five children in like nine years. Um, so, but we were given this book that's still around, really, 
and many of you will, will recognize this title, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Did, did a lot of y'all from our generation, even later, have this book? It kind of goes through, you know, the size of the fetus and what to expect each month and just goes through the whole thing. It's like a, a pregnancy for dummies book. Um, I would say the eight months from when we found out we were expecting to when Jared was born may have been the longest eight months of my life. It seemed as if every day passed by so slowly. When you're expecting the birth of your first child and you're, you're anticipating, but at the same time, you're, you don't know what to expect. And I don't care what they put in some stinking book. It doesn't really get you ready for what's going to happen when you're driving away from that hospital with that child in the back seat. Scariest moment, honestly, in my life was driving away from the hospital realizing there's a, there's a baby back there. Today, we're going to look at the story of Mary and to think about this young teenage girl and what radically changed in her life as she received the word and promise of God. Because I think it's a reflection for us. What does it mean to expect how to walk through total commitment with him? So Luke 1, looking at verses 26 and following. Here are the things that will, I believe, help us when we're expecting to see the fulfillment of that expectation. So I think many of us have an expectation of life, and these are the points of the things that I think will help us to fulfill and see that expectation come into being. So the first is this. There's a requirement of total commitment. Total. Please, people, listen, listen to me at this point. Christianity... Christianity is a total, not partial, commitment to God. Total. If you come at Christianity from the perspective that I'm going to give just a part of myself to him, you will be always unfulfilled in your walk as a follower of Jesus Christ. There is no such thing as a partial commitment in God's kingdom. It is a total commitment to him. And I, I believe that for many of us, we come into the church, for instance, saying that 80% of my life is good. I've got 80% of my life in order. I've got 80% of things working for me, and I'm going to add God to the last 20%, and now I'll be 100%, right? 80 plus 20, 100. The kingdom of God doesn't work like that. The kingdom of God works with you coming to him and saying, I give you my all. A total commitment to him. And Mary is a picture of this in many, many ways. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Again, at this point, almost all scholars agree that Mary was a young teenage girl, somewhere between the age of 14 and maybe 18, but probably younger. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, 
You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I love the understatement of the book of Luke. Even now, where the angel comes and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. I wonder what kind of greeting this is. I think it's a little more overwhelming in her response. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, I know we've read these words so many times, they just wash over us without meaning at times. But think of Mary on this night where Gabriel is coming to her and say, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. She's troubled. It really means she's afraid. She doesn't know what's going on. It, when she says, what kind of greeting will, is this? Meaning, am I about to be destroyed or is something good going to happen here? What kind of greeting is this? And he immediately says to her, don't be afraid. The Lord, is, the Lord is with you. You're going to give birth to a son. He's going to be the son of God. He's going to be the salvation. He's going to be the king. And you may be saying, okay, what is, what's the requirement of total commitment here? The requirement of total commitment is this. Mary, to receive the gift of God, is going to have to give totally of herself. I mean, we, children aren't here, but we understand pregnancy, you're not partially pregnant. You're not a little bit pregnant. I mean, to be pregnant, she's going to have to receive. She's have to give of herself. Not just now, but think about it for the rest of her life is going to change from this moment forward. It will never be the same. She will never be able to merely be a teenage girl in this small village of Nazareth. To give of herself at this moment is going to require a total and complete commitment. She stands, I think, as an example to us of what the gospel does in our lives when we receive Jesus that we can't just receive him partially, that we have to receive him totally. This word, this child is going to... The commitment starts with God and carries through to us. So when the angels come, they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. The glory of God from God, our commitment to him, comes into our lives, touches us, and God's favor flows through us. The mystery of salvation is deep. It is rich. It is not completely understandable. Is it not? 
I mean, I, we can explain it, as I've said in weeks past, to a certain extent, but not totally. And we need to receive this mystery by giving ourselves completely to him. Because it's like having a treasure in an earthen vessel. How can God's presence indwell me? How can the creator's presence come into my life? How can I be filled with all the measure of the fullness of God? How can the glory of the God come into my life? I give myself to him completely. He fills me. He does the work of transformation. He saves me. We then get the glory of giving it away. The truth away. So, if we're going to see the expectation of our lives, the destiny of God fulfilled, the first thing we have to do is give of ourselves completely. Here's, here's a little bit of my fear as I go on. You'll hear those words and you'll process them a little bit, but you won't do it. It's the fear that I have as a pastor. It's the fear I have as a father. It's a fear I have at times is this, that people will hear the word but not receive the word. People will just let the words that they've heard for so many years wash over them, and they will not give them, I'm going to give myself totally and completely to God. Why? Because... For many of us, fear rules over faith. We're afraid of what's going to happen if we do this. And as a result, we always stand back. We all always hold back just a little bit because we're afraid if we give ourselves completely and totally, then, oh, maybe God will make me go to Africa or maybe God will do this in my life or God will do that in my life or God will make, tell me to stop doing this. And I really enjoy this. And, and, or maybe God will, you can fill in the blank. And by the way, the enemy, Satan, he has no shortage of things to help you fill in the gap on, to fill in the blank. He will just come right in where your fears open that door and he'll fill in the blank. Don't give yourself to God because he'll do this. Or for some of us, it's even, you don't deserve this because of what's happened in your life. And I, I, that's a fear in and of itself, of its own kind. And, and I want to encourage you this morning that we have the ability to see our faith factor rise above our fear factor and change. Do you think Mary was unafraid of this word? I think she had to be terrified. Really, I mean, she had to be... She's Let's go with 15. She's 15 years old. She's engaged to be married to an older man. I mean, she's probably, her education level, we don't know. Wasn't like females in Nazareth were well-educated and went to college and stuff. She's not even old enough if she did. Now this angel appears to her in her house, says to her, you're going to get pregnant He's going to be the son of God. He's going to be the savior. He's going to be the king of kings. You've got to know Mary's like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
She even says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Now, Mary is 15. She goes with the obvious. Okay, how am I going to get pregnant? I've never had sex with a man. Even Mary knows the basic biology here. I can't get pregnant if I've never had sex. How is this going to be? It's a, I think the fear is it's coming out in a question that seems obvious, but it's got other implications for what she's asking. The angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, if I'm Mary, I'm saying, hey, this isn't helping me. I'm not really sure what this means. He goes on and says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. We'll come to that story next week. Zachariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth is six months pregnant, a miraculous pregnancy. One of those, you know, she was old, old, past the childbearing age when she becomes pregnant. And Mary knows her. It's a it's a it's an example to Mary that God is on the move here. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At some point, Mary's faith factor rises above her fear factor. Here's how the dialogue looks in another way of stating it. The angel says to her, for nothing is impossible with God. We've talked about this in the past, but one way to interpret that is no word from God is without power. All God's promises we know are yes and amen. So when he says nothing is impossible, the the presence of God will overshadow you. The word of God, as John will say, will become flesh. No word from God. I know I'm reading into it a little bit, but there's this, God's promise is there. His word is there. How did God create the world? How did God create? God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let this happen, and it happened. The word of God is powerful. No word from God is without power, the angel says, Gabriel says. And Mary, what is her response then? May it be to me as you have said, or be it unto me according to your word. I receive the word of power in my life. You know, here's the deal for us. We want at times evidence, like something tangible, like something we can put our our fingers to before we say, I'll go there. I'll do that. But we have the word of God in all its magnificence for what God has told us to do. And we have the word made flesh living among us. We have the Word, and we have the Word. But for some of us, we're so afraid that if we follow the Word or follow the Word, 
that we'll end up somewhere where we don't right now want to be. And God is saying to you, let, let faith rise up within you. Come to a place where you say, be it unto me according to your word. Let your word happen in my life. Now, I don't know this for sure, but it seems to me that the passage indicates that when she says, be it unto me according to your word, that that's, I think that's when she got pregnant. When she received in faith the word of God, God, God touched her life and the miraculous happened. When you step out in faith, incredible things will happen. Now, it's not like you're going to have this gold-paved highway in front of you where everything in your life is going to go perfect? Do you think Mary's life is going to go perfect from here on out? I mean, just look at the birth narrative. I mean, she goes down to see Elizabeth. She comes back. Then she has to go back down to Bethlehem. No room in the inn. Gives birth in a stable. She gets some strange visitors with sheep and other stuff. And then they're there for a while. It gets word that they're going to get killed. They need to leave. They have to flee to Egypt. They go to Egypt. They come back to Nazareth. She's got a child who's obviously not Joseph's. Now she's going to have to raise him as her own. She's going to, she's going to see him go out into the world. She's going to give him to the world. He's going to eventually go to the cross. And she's going to be standing at the foot of the cross, seeing this son of promise killed brutally, horribly. Listen, Mary's road is not easy. But she received. She received, and her faith factor went above her fear factor, and because she did, all of our lives are changed forever. Not only will your life be changed, but so will all of those around you. If you'll let faith overcome fear. And listen, I, I got to tell you, I know the feeling. You know, it may seem like, oh, he's a pastor. I'm sure he walks in faith all the time. My fear factor is always knocking at my door. It's always right there. Don't say this. Don't do this. Do this. Don't do that. You could lose this. If you lose this, then you'll lose that. And It's always, it's always right there for every single one of us. Day by day, moment by moment, we have to let faith rise above fear. Because God is always speaking, I think. Either through his word or his word or through the spirit who indwells us, God is speaking. And moment by moment, we need to walk in faith. The victory we have, we know. That God loved us. He gave his one and only son that what? Whoever believes in him, whoever has faith in him, whoever walks in this faith will not perish but have eternal life. The promise of God that Mary had to receive was the word of God received in faith, overcoming fear and walking. We too have to receive. From the moment of salvation, we receive the promise of Jesus, the word of God made flesh, so that if we believe, if we have faith, if we walk in him, we'll have eternal life. And that eternal life, I don't begin, believe, begins when you die. You get to walk in the fullness of life now. 
from this moment through eternity. We're not waiting on something. We are a little bit. We're not quite fulfilled. But there's, uh, there's a large part of what we think we're waiting for that God has already done. And God is wanting to release in our lives if we'll be a people who aren't afraid. Yesterday, we were playing it. The, you know, we've got Jared and Sarah and Leo, who's four, and Sophie, who's two. I know, they're the cutest things ever, are they not? You saw them on the front row? I think they're gorgeous and loving it. So we're watching the Auburn-Alabama game yesterday. Uh, there's much mourning and wailing in my house um, going on. You know, hope deferred makes the heart sick kind of thing, and that's what yesterday seemed to be uh, at our house. Anyway, so Leo, he doesn't, he's, he just asks, are you rooting for the white team or the red team or whatever? It, he doesn't really, but he's got a football and he's playing, and he's like begging someone to come play with him, play football with him. So Uncle Adam comes storming into the room toward him, and he's holding the football, and like Adam comes to tackle him, and he's like, throws the football down. Kind of like, I don't think so. I don't want to play anymore. Now, if I saw Adam coming at me like that, I would be probably throwing the football down too. But then he got worked with a little bit where his fear factor got overcome, and then they were on the floor tackling each other and rolling around. But for many of us, we're like that. It's like, yes, I want God, I want God, I want God. Here's God. Oh, I don't know. Let me toss this. Let me get rid of it. Because I don't know what will happen. Yeah, you don't. Mary's not promised anything other than his promise, God's promise, will be fulfilled in her life. What happens? Mary goes to see Elizabeth after she's expecting. You know the story? Elizabeth. She says, the baby in my womb leapt when you came in. She recognizes there is a, and then one of the most dangerous hymns in all of history comes out of the mouth of this 15-year-old as she's filled with the Spirit, impregnated by God, the Son of the Most High dwelling her, and she says this, she proclaims in joy, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. You know, it sounds like bragging, right? But it's not. Why? Because of him. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary's not looking to exalt herself. Mary is looking to exalt the God who indwells her. Not just pregnantly, but the glory of God that infills her. Her, her. her song is a song of joy. It's a song of transformation. The Magnificat, my soul glorifies the Lord, is is the response of everyone who's touched by the presence of God and walks in faith with him. I, I'm convinced that Christians should be a joyful people. Why? Because we've been transformed. We have his presence indwelling us and infilling us. 
The joy of the Lord is my strength. There, there are so many passages that talk about no matter what our circumstances, we can be content. That's not like miserable content. That's joyful content. That's thankful content. That's looking forward content. That's a faith-filled contentment. And we need the joy of the Lord overwhelming us. Mary's going to go on. She's going to have other children. She's going to have a tough life. Not very rich. We don't know if she travels even. I mean, legend has it that she eventually ends up outside of Ephesus, that John takes care of her in her old... We don't know. We really don't. She may never leave this Israel area. But to me, Mary stands as an example to all of us that if we will give ourselves totally and completely to him, if we won't be pushed down by fear, but rise up in faith, then the joy of the Lord will flow through us and impact the world around us. Paul says you'll be made rich in every way. Don't, don't get the prosperity doctrine here, please. He means the presence and glory of God. He's not talking about material wealth. But he is talking that everything God gives you, whether material or spiritual, allows you to be generous. So you can be generous when? On every occasion. This is a wild passage. You'll be made rich in every way. Why? Because you can get a car? Because I want a Tesla too. You know? No, so that I can be generous, so that I can give it away. And through us, your generosity will result in what? Thanksgiving to God, joy of the Lord. And then he goes on and says, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. What is their confession? What? How are they confessing? Think about it. You'll be made rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. Then men will glorify God because of your confession of the gospel. Their confession, we think of confession as just words. And words are powerful and that's a part of it. But he's saying, listen, you, you give away what God has given you to the world around you. And as a result, this confession you're giving for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Lord, we thank you today that because of Jesus, the indescribable gift of the presence and glory of God, we can walk in your power. We can walk in your might. We can walk in your presence. Lord, I, I sit around at times and think, why do we not give more? Why do we not serve more? Why do we not share more? Why do we not love better? And Lord, I pray that today that the answer to those questions will be we will. We give ourselves to you totally and completely today. 
We ask that your presence infill us and empower us. Lord, we, we, we choose today to no longer walk because of fear, but instead, Lord, out of faith. Knowing that we don't know the answer to everything, but God, just let faith rise up within us. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Let your presence so indwell us that we can walk in faith. And then, Lord, let the joy of the Lord be our song to the world, to each other, even to our own souls. My soul glorifies the Lord. Lord, thank you. We rejoice in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take up an offering, but really...